Good morning, Mill City. So good to be with you and celebrate 10 years together. I want to welcome everybody online. So great to have you joining us. If you're brand new with us today, just for sake of introduction, my name is Aaron Stern. I'm the lead pastor here. And uh, before we jump into the message today, I'd love for us together to take some time and pray uh, for what's happening in Ukraine. And uh, so would you join me in praying Father, we need you. As we look around the world, we can look to so many places and see so much uh, destruction and evil. And so today we focus our prayers and our attention on Ukraine. And God, we ask for peace and we ask for protection of life. God, we pray for comfort for families who have lost loved ones. God, we ask for mercy. You have mercy, God. God, we pray for peace from the Prince of Peace. God, would you bring leaders together in order to bring about peace, to stop war. God, we pray for wisdom for leaders, both those directly involved and those around the world, God, to, to know what to do and when to do what. And Holy Spirit of God, we, we pray for the church. We pray for the church in Ukraine. We pray for the church in Russia. We pray for the church around the world. God, we, we pray that, that people would know the nearness and the strength of the body of Christ surrounding them in prayer and love and support and encouragement. God, we pray for the church of Jesus to rise up and shine brightly. God, we pray for the extension of compassion and love. And God, we pray for your kingdom to come and your will to be done. God, we, we pray that you would thwart evil and that you would stand and bring life and peace. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Ten years. I've been reflecting this last year on, or this last week on these last ten years. And sometimes it feels like it's flown by and other times it's felt like it's more like a hundred years. But, but as I've thought about it this last week, I, I, I've really found myself so grateful, so grateful for, for a front row seat, a front row seat to God's work, a front row seat to, you know, that over a thousand people have put their faith and their trust in Jesus at Mill City Church. I, I mean, well, incredible. A front row seat to marriages being saved and changed and life changed and community built and generosity and the impact on our city and region and all around the world. I I asked for the number this last week and there is just short of $2.3 million given by Mill City Church out into our local community and around the world. Way to go, Mill City Church. I'm so grateful, and, and I just want to acknowledge um, one particular group today, and that's the Lift Team. Uh, the Lift Team is the group of people that serve. They're serving in kids right now, and they serve with students throughout the week, and they lead city groups, and they welcomed you in, and they're making sure the lights are on, and all the things. So, Lift Team, I'm so grateful for you. I'm so grateful for your energy and your contributions and your time and all of the talents that you contribute. So, can we just give a huge, huge thank you to the Lift Team. So grateful for you. Love you, love you, love you so much. I, I really... 
I really feel so lucky. I feel lucky to be leading this amazing church. And Jossie and I have regularly said, if we weren't the leaders of this church, we would come to this church. We're so grateful, so grateful to be a part. And, and it is that, that feeling of like feeling lucky. It's not that it's not hard or there's not bad days, but I feel lucky. It's a condition of my heart. It's not circumstantial. And that's, that's the word uh, that, that, that we're using to, to best encapsulate the idea found in the Beatitudes as we make our way through the Sermon on the Mount starts with the eight Beatitudes, and, and each one of those Beatitudes starts with the word blessed, which scholars would translate to be happy or fortunate, but we're all, another way is lucky. Not like, oh, I'm, I, win the, I win bingo a lot lucky, but more like, like, I'm just lucky to be alive. Even if things aren't great, I'm just so grateful to have breath in my lungs. That kind of lucky. So today we're in the third beatitude. Matthew chapter 5 verse 5 says, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Meek. Meek is an interesting, if not strange word in our day and age. I mean, think about it. When was the last time somebody described you as meek? When was the last time you wanted to be described as meek? Some of you are like, please no. Like strong, confident, awesome, but meek? A synonym for meek is tender-hearted, gentle, and you're like, yeah, it's not me. Now, the first century listeners on this mountainside would have heard Jesus' words and heard blessed are the meek, but they really would have heard the second half and their interest being piqued when he says, for they will inherit the earth. Now, to, to hear earth, what if they would have heard land? And here the first century Jewish people were, and, and they had a big interest in the land on which they lived, for which they had no control over. Because it was ruled by the Romans. And so they were under oppression in their own land. And they had been longing for a Messiah who was going to come and help them live peaceably and be in charge of their land. So, so for Jesus to have said, and they will inherit the earth, for they will inherit the land, would have been like, all right. But then they heard the first part, the meek. Blessed are the meek. Like, because if they would have looked around, they said, who owns the land right now? The mighty Roman military, the empire. They're not meek. Think about it in our day. Who owns the land? Mighty militaries? Multinational corporations, powerful politicians, uber-popular celebrities. I mean, think about what's happening in Ukraine right now. Somebody who says, I want that land, I'm going to go take it. And how would you describe the ones who own the land? Aggressive, strong, powerful, maybe, maybe even a bully? So blessed are the meek flies in the face of happy are the aggressive because they get what they want. So, so I wonder if the first century hearers and even to our ears today, we say, that's just not true. It's not true. Blessed are the meek. Look around, Jesus. Look what's happening. The Romans, taxes, oppression, not true. 
And because of this, I wonder if the Sermon on the Mount is often thought of as aspirational. You know, like not possible. It's not reality. So maybe it's just a picture of how to know that you need God. Sermon on the Mount is thought of just aspirational, or maybe it's thought of as optional. You know, the suggestions on the Mount. I'll take two, four, and six, please. You know, I'll have some mourning, I'll have some uh, mercy, and I'll take some righteousness, uh, but please hold the meekness. <laughs> but I'd like to suggest that the church has suffered significantly and most, maybe most in our witness because we have not taken the Sermon on the Mount seriously. I mean, think about it. If you were to ask somebody on the street, how would you describe the church? Meek? Gentle? Humble? I heard someone say recently, people aren't leaving the church because they don't believe what Jesus teaches. People are leaving the church because the church doesn't believe what Jesus teaches. So Mill City, can I just encourage each and every one of us as we step into these next 10 years to, to, to be radically devoted to the way of Jesus? Because the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes held within the Sermon on the Mount are, are embodied by Jesus and are what we as the people of God are to be come like to be like him and therefore to be meek. It's not aspirational and it's not optional. Meekness is not weakness. It doesn't mean no courage. It may sound like the same word, but it's not the same word. Meekness is not weakness. Meekness is not to be a doormat or a feather. Meekness is not passivity or timidity. Meekness is, no, is not about no courage or no conviction. Actually, the word meek is only used twice in the entire Bible to describe a person. Once in the Old Testament and once in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, meek is used to describe Moses. Numbers chapter 12, verse 3. Now the man Moses was very meek, more than all people who were on the face of the earth. What's funny about that is Moses wrote that. <laughs> and the second in the New Testament was Jesus. Matthew 11, verse 29, I am meek and lowly in heart. Now the word meek, describing Moses and describing Jesus, they were, neither of them were wimps. Both of them led people out of slavery into deliverance. The word meek is used throughout the Bible and throughout the New Testament to describe what we might be like. Paul describes it as something that he is aspiring to, and it is found in the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, or meekness, and self-control. Meaning it is Something as the people of God, followers of Jesus, that the Spirit of God will work into each one of us in order to become like Jesus. Now, Jesus' listeners 
When they hear, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth, would have heard Psalm chapter 37, verse 11. See, the Beatitudes weren't all, all just something Jesus made up. In particular, this one actually came from a particular place. Psalm 37, verse 11 says, But the meek will inherit the land and enjoy peace and prosperity. The entirety of Psalm 37, which they also would have heard the context of that chapter, David is wrestling, the psalmist is wrestling with the fact that in this world, it is the pushy, it is the grabby, it is the power-wielding, it is the self-asserting, it is the controlling types who seem to win. Those who step on others are regularly at the top. But this verse, 3711, comes at 10 verses after a description of what the meek person looks like. So I want to read Psalm 37, 1 through 10. Do not fret because of those who are evil or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in Him, and He will do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Refrain from anger and turn from wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evil. For those who are evil will be destroyed, but those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. A little while and the wicked will be no more. Though you look for them, they will not be found. So, in these 10 verses, what is he encouraging them to do and to look meek? Trust in the Lord. Take delight in the Lord. Commit your way to the Lord. Be still before the Lord. Wait patiently for Him. Put your hope in the Lord. You might think, oh, those kind of sound passive. Actually, they're very active words. Very active. Even in the waiting, it's a passionate waiting. And He says, if you do these things, He will God will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. So the question is, will we trust that He will do that? The question is, do we believe that we have to take things into our own hands or we can trust Him to take care of it? Our family has a dog. His name is Finley. He's a golden retriever. We got him when he was a puppy. And if you've ever had a, a puppy, but more specifically a golden retriever puppy, um, I found that I liked him for a few minutes <laughs> when we first got him. And then I thought he was demon-possessed. <laughs> so we decided that we were going to send him to school, to obedience school. And, and so we dropped him off and then picked him up a, a, a week later, a couple weeks later. And, and I thought they gave us the wrong dog. I thought, where is, where, where's the crazy dog that we dropped off? I mean, it was night and day. I asked the, 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 the trainer, uh, what, what happened here? <laughs> and she said, oh, it's just a matter of a power struggle. See, see, when you brought your dog in, 
he was in charge. Now that you're taking him home, he knows you're in charge. But it was all about a struggle over power. And who's in charge? And meekness is the same way. Who is in charge? And whose hands are we going to trust? God's hands or our hands? Maybe you've heard a definition of meekness as strength or power under control. But in the scripture, the way that meekness is actually described would be better described as power surrendered to another. It's not just, oh, I'm strong, but I've just learned how to like contain it. It's actually there's strength and desire and passion, and yet I surrender that power to someone else to direct it. And it's God. And I can do that because I am connected to the greatest power in the universe. The God who through his words created everything. The God who through his love redeemed the entire world. The God who through his persistence and through his redemption will make everything right. He says, trust in the Lord, delight yourself in the Lord. But there's also a few things that he asks asks us and communicates not to do. And three times this phrase is used, do not fret. To fret is to be overheated or anxious or reactive. As opposed to being non-anxious or being a, a type of person where nothing can undo you. In this passage, he also describes how to what to refrain. Refrain from anger. Refrain from reacting. Do good. But it's not just do good. It's do good in the face of evil. What he's saying is the meek don't respond in kind. If somebody insults you, you don't respond with an insult. You know, it takes no strength to respond in kind takes no strength to criticize and to condemn and to insult back. takes no strength. It takes a, a lot of strength to respond in the opposite spirit. To be treated poorly and to, to love back. To respond with, to evil with good. Meekness, one scholar says, can also be translated as nonviolent. Blessed are the nonviolent, for they will inherit the earth. As I was thinking about this, I thought Martin Luther King Jr. exemplified this in such a profound way as he led the civil rights movement here in the United States. Calling on and advocating for people to be treated fairly and to be treated with dignity regardless of the color of their skin. And as he advocated for that, and there was marches, and and there was people uh, uh, advocating for others, and other people advocating for themselves in the face of evil, and he advocated for nonviolence. And we see that in pictures like the march across the Pettus Bridge in Alabama, as as, as people were attacked by dogs or sprayed with water cannons, and instead of Fighting back in the same spirit, oftentimes there was the sounds of songs or prayers. 
And Martin Luther King Jr. says, we're not going to fight for something in the wrong way. See, the Jews wanted their land back, and they had wanted it back for hundreds and hundreds of years. There was a sect of the Jewish population called Zealots, and the Zealots actually were trying to fight for it with violence. They were even maybe potentially seen as terrorists. We're going to blow up and try and somehow kill off Romans as a way to try to achieve the goal of getting our land. But this is promised to us by God. What is Jesus saying when he says, blessed are the meek? The righteous, righteous goals do not justify unrighteous means. He's advocating not just for good goals, but for it to be done in the Jesus way. You say, well, how do I know if I'm meek or not, Aaron? One of the greatest tests of our meekness is the way we respond to the hurts dealt to us by others. When somebody hurts you, what do you do? How do we respond? Do we respond in kind? You know, lash back directly, maybe with an insult or a fist? Or maybe indirectly, gossip, slander, bow up? Jump on Facebook, you know, the land of no meekness? Or do we trust God to vindicate? Do we trust God in His ways? I love what John Blanchard in his book, Right with God, says, Meekness towards man means bearing patiently with the hurtful actions of others and dealing gently with their failures. Not only in the assurance that all of these are under God's providential control, but in the knowledge that, left to ourselves, we have no claim to be any stronger than the weakest of our friends or any better than the worst of our enemies. It's a way in which we see ourselves, and you think, well, that is not natural, and you're absolutely right. It is a reflection of, of the kingdom taking hold in someone's life. Which means that it is the power of the Spirit of God that starts to produce something in us that is not natural. It is, in fact, supernatural. Meekness is supernatural. Mother Teresa, maybe somebody who we would look at and other people have described as meek, bringing dignity to the dying in Calcutta, India, she said, learn to be humble by doing all the humble work and doing it for Jesus. You cannot learn humility from books. You learn it by accepting humiliations. Humiliations are not meant to torture us. They are gifts from God. These little humiliations, if we accept them with joy, will help us to be holy, to have a meek and humble heart like Jesus. Mother Teresa developed what became known as a humility list. So I just want to read a few of them. They're not, it's not the complete list, but ask yourself, how, how do I do on this list? Speak as little as possible about yourself. Keep busy with your own affairs and not those of others. Accept small irritations with good humor. Meekness. Do not dwell on the faults of others. Meekness. Be courteous and delicate, even when provoked by someone. How about this one? <laughs> Give in, 
in discussions, even when you're right. (laughs) But I'm right! Choose always the more difficult task. Yeah, I look through that list and I think, whoa, man, I got a lot of work to do. I'm not sure how much the kingdom of God has taken root in my life in that way. (laughs) But I can look to someone that does exemplify that, and it's Jesus. Think about Jesus as he's on trial to be crucified. The most, the perfect human, the Son of God, standing there being accused, and he stands in the face of accusation being totally right and perfect in silence. 1 Peter describes this in chapter 2, and he says, when they hurled their insults at him, at Jesus, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. So does that mean that Jesus was and what we, he's asking us to be as a robot, you know, just like cold, just stone cold. Like that doesn't bother me. No big deal. That's all right. Do what you want to me. I don't think so. Jesus was affected. We see it in the ways that he weeps over Jerusalem. He's, he cries over, over Lazarus. These things affected him. See, Jesus was affected by all, but he was controlled by none. And led by one. Led by the Father. And and entrusted himself to the one. I I wonder, you ever you ever you ever watch a movie with a friend, but you've seen the end? And they're like sitting over there nervous. Is this gonna end? And are they is she gonna die? And what's gonna happen? And and you're like chilling. Why? Because you've seen it and you know the end. She lives. She's going to be fine. I know it's scary. It looks like it's all over. She's going to be fine. You don't tell that to your friend, but nonetheless, you're just, you're fine. Do you know that you can flip to the end of your Bible? You can read the last few chapters, and you can know how it ends? We can know how all of this ends. Jesus comes back, everybody. And, in, and it says in the end when he comes back, not only does he, does he defeat sin and death and make all things right and make all the sad things untrue, at the same time, he inherits all of the world. He oversees and rules the world in the new heaven and the new earth. Guess who rules the world? Guess who inherits the earth? The meek. So you might be like, oh, I, I don't have to sweat this. I know how it ends. What's, why, are you, why are you okay right now? I know how it ends. I've seen the end. I mean, I know it looks dire. I know it looks like the bullies are going to take over. I know that the powerful seem like they're going to win it in the end. (laughs) Not true. I know the end of the story. You find yourself maybe like me, needing areas of your life for the kingdom to break into. Needing something supernatural to happen, you think, I am meekless. I don't even know if that's a word, but. (laughs) There's good news. 
And the good news is found in Matthew chapter 11. See, Jesus, when he describes himself as meek, if you read the verses around it, it says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. You ever find that taking things into your own hands is pretty exhausting? Trying to make everything work out the way that you think it should work out, even if it is God's goals, is pretty exhausting. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, he says, for I am gentle or meek and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. See, he says, come to me and learn. Jesus is inviting us to learn from him, which means that the meek are teachable. Jesus can teach us if we're teachable. Anybody can teach But it's another thing for somebody to be teachable. It's really wonderful to be a teacher when you have teachable students. And Jesus is inviting us to learn from him, which means that we have to have a teachable spirit and a surrendered heart. And so my invitation, and maybe maybe I should say more clearly, God's invitation to each one of us is to step out of this place and step into our days and into our future, both individually and collectively, as a teachable people. Which means that each and every day we have the opportunity to surrender. As we land this message, I want us to land in a place where we say, I want to be teachable. I want to surrender. I want to encourage each and every one of us, as I have every week with a weekly practice, to to memorize and meditate on the Beatitudes. This week, memorize, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Not just to know it up here, but so that it might be something that integrates into our lives we might live it out. Take this week, read all of Psalm 37. Chew on what it is described as the ones who God will vindicate. Take a step of leaning into the way of Jesus and surrender, surrender daily. For some of you, maybe here today, you've never surrendered to Jesus before. You find yourself um, maybe fighting for your own way and you feel like, oh, I've, I, I've tried to, got a tight grip on what I think should happen and I'm pretty tired. Jesus is saying to you today, will you come to me? His invitation is to you. His invitation is to surrender. And maybe the the surrender is for the first time, or maybe it's for the first time in a long time. Maybe this is your first time in church today. Wherever you find yourself, some of you have got the tug of the invitation of the Holy Spirit to surrender. If that's you, you just sincerely and under your breath say, God, I surrender. I surrender. I give you my life. And as we give him our life, he gives us his. In our own strength, we can't be meek. But with his, 
we can. So whatever your next step might be, a step of surrender for the first time, step for step of surrender for the first time in a long time, the, the, the awareness of the need to surrender regularly, daily, to live into and engage the people of God, pay attention to the way that we react, ask people around you to, to support you, pray for you, strengthen you, jump into a city group, learn to become less anxious, less reactive. Wherever you find yourself today, I want to take a moment. Let's pray. I want to pray for us all that we might be who Jesus describes as those who will inherit the earth as meek. Father, today, as we describe and talk about a word that maybe we don't use very often, that isn't used in our culture often, maybe not even celebrated. God, we, we want to be the people you've called us to be. We want to be people that are like you, Jesus, that are maybe silent in the places where we so quickly want to speak up and react. God, I pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit, that we would trust you with all of our hearts. We would not fret. We would wait on you. We would delight in you. We would commit our ways to you. And that you would help us to open our hands because we trust the one who is the all-powerful one. We've read the end of the story. We know how it ends. And so God, we can look to you with trust and joy. Help us be the people of God that you've called us to be. This we pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And everybody said, Amen. Amen.